0: good morning morning. let's open our bibles to the book of job once again we left job as you remember sitting in the ashes with boils from head to foot and uncomforted in fact uh, his comforters seem to have made things worse instead of better but praise the lord the book doesn't end there and uh, Job will get his comfort at last from the best possible source of all. Job 34, before uh, we we read the, the passage, we're going to meet, by the way, comforter number four uh, this week. I know uh, there were some puzzled looks last week when I said we're going to meet uh, Job's fifth friend, and we'd only seen three so far. Well, we'll see number four this week, just briefly, before we finally hear the Lord speak but um, as we said last time uh, there's a misnomer about the book of Job it's often uh, said that the theme of Job is why do the righteous suffer that's not the theme of Job that question is asked a lot but it's never properly answered really in fact God never explains himself to Job as we're going to see later this morning And we also uh, learned last week how not to do it, how not to comfort. You remember the comforters, they made several mistakes. Number one, they didn't listen to Job. They were too anxious to say what they thought. Um, Secondly, they were more interested in delivering sermons and uh, getting their point across. Thirdly, they insisted that there had to be some great sin in Job's life that he didn't know about. Very common mistake and i've seen all of these and you probably have uh two made even today there's a fourth mistake that i have seen unfortunately there was a very close friend of mine when i was a brand new christian at Fairhaven, uh who uh, near the age of 30 was stricken with a brain tumor godly man and um some well-meaning professing believers approached him and his wife because he wasn't getting better and said that the reason he wasn't getting better was because they did not have enough faith. And you can well guess, it did not help the situation. They were very godly uh, people, loved the Lord. He was an elder at Fairhaven at the time, though a young man, and, he, and the Lord took him after about a year. But uh, the comforters, again in that case, made things worse for Steve rather than better so we want to learn from this book not only how as believers we should uh, act under trials and testing ourselves but how to comfort as well and we've seen how not to do it well we're going to meet Elihu here in chapter 34 we're just going to briefly look at him now it's interesting the commentators have kind of a mixed um, opinion about this guy some think he's, he's he's great and others think he has uh, serious problems. Uh, one of the interesting things is when God later criticizes the comforters, he doesn't include Elihu in that list. And so they think that, well, then Elihu must have been right on target. And he is to a certain extent in that he defends God's justice. You remember last week, God, uh, Job basically looked to heaven and said, God, you, you're being unfair to me. And uh, Elihu really took issue with that. And he, de- he rightfully defends the justice of God. The problem is he still doesn't manage to comfort uh, Job. So we'll get a quick look at him. It's interesting. You might call Elihu the angry young man. Uh, He's self-described younger than everybody else. He admits that. And several times before he even speaks, it says he was mad. He was angry. He he couldn't control himself anymore. And he had to speak out. His wrath was getting the better of him. Now, some of that was godly uh, anger, I'm sure. But as you'll see, Unfortunately, he makes the same mistakes as the uh, other comforters. In chapters 32 and 33, where we first meet him, he does a pretty good job. He he has good theology. But when I'm hurting, it's not clear to me that's, that's what I really need right now, is right doctrine. Obviously, whatever you say should be right doctrinally, but just being right is not always all there is to offering comfort sometimes we can be very right and be wrong in our treatment of others so uh, we'll look at chapter 34 to get a little glimpse of Elihu here he starts off uh, fairly well Uh, he, he basically like all the others spends quite a bit of time saying now I'm going to talk and he finally gets around to it and then he addresses Job here in chapter 34, verse 5. And he says this. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Now, that's, that's true. Job, unfortunately, did say this. And so Eli, Elihu is indignant at something like that. And so uh, he's going to take Job to task for this. He's further quoting Job here. My wound is incurable, though I'm without transgression. Now, Elihu is going to talk about Job and listen to this. This is a little harsh. What man is like Job who drinks scorn like water? In other words, his scorn of God. Who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Well, that's unfair. Very harsh. And in fact, Job did not say this at all. If you look back at chapter uh, 21, this is the closest Job comes to saying that. It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. In other words, he's accusing Job of saying, look, here I am suffering. What's the point? You know, I might as well be evil and suffer rather than wasting my time being righteous and suffering for it. Well, Job did not say it that way. In chapter 21, this is what he did say. In uh, verse 10 and later, Job is talking about the wicked. And in verse 14, here's what Job says, quoting the wicked. Yet they say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? You follow that? You with me here? Job says, this is what the wicked says. Job is not saying this. He's quoting the wicked. Unfortunately, Elihu, once again, like the others, wasn't listening. And he's blaming Job for saying that. And so it's kind of like a straw man argument. Now he launches into answering that terrible the statement that Job never made. Um, he does it again in uh, chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say, My righteousness is more than God's? For you say, and this is what he says Job's Job said, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? You got that? He says, Job is saying, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? In other words, I might as well sin." Well, again, he's referring to that same quote. Job didn't say that. And so uh, Eli, who then launches into another sermon about people who think that way, the problem is is Job never said it. And so he's uh, just beating the air. Okay, so before we get into the Lord's answer, I wanted last week, and we're going to do it this week, get a personal look at job we really understand the man and uh, what kind of a life he had lived because he gets so tired of these charges of sin and he never says he's sinless that he finally just summarizes his life before the comforters and for us here in chapter 31 we're not going to read it. i'm just going to summarize it for you but turn there and we get a, a look at what kind of a man job was chapter 31 he says i have made a covenant with my eyes why then should i look upon a young woman so he begins really with something we know clearly in the new testament that look at a, a woman uh, with lust is the same as adultery Job recognizes that and he and he, he says i've never done that i don't do that i don't practice that verse five if i have walked with falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit let me be weighed on honest scales that god may know my integrity he's an honest and he's a truthful man he says by the way this is not boasting this job says this at the very end kind of in desperation and we know these things are true because god said it so job is giving an honest description of himself Uh, verse 13 if i despise the cause of my male or female servant when they complain against me what then shall i do when god rises up So whenever his servants have had something to say to him personally as their their employer, he listens. Very godly man. Uh, 16 and 17, If I have kept the poor from their desire, it caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or eaten my morsel by myself, so that the fatherless could not eat of it. And he goes on and talks about how he has constantly given to the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Pretty, Pretty godly man here, right? um verse 24 he basically says uh though i'm a rich man that's not what i put my heart on i love the lord uh verse 29 here's an incredible one if i have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found me and then he goes on what he's saying here is i even love my enemies again that's that's a new testament uh doctrine It's in the Old Testament, but it's certainly clear in the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Well, 31 through 32, he talks about his hospitality, his love of strangers. And 33 and 34, he says plainly that whenever I've sinned, I've been willing to acknowledge it openly. And uh, finally, in 35, you, you can hear the man's frustration. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me that my prosecutor had written a book and job said this more than once his accusers saying over and over again job you're a sinner there's something wrong you've done something there's a sin somewhere and he's just he's so frustrated he said several times i wish the lord would speak and and uh you know clear my name so we can get this all straight once and for all well job's going to get his wish It's not going to happen exactly the way he planned. But uh, the Lord is going to speak. Now, now you can turn to chapter uh, 38. Wonderful section in the Bible. I'll tell you, up to this point now, I'll tell you, if this was written by people and if they had God appear at the end, can you imagine how it would be written? It would not be written the way it is. and, And you'll see. This, I'll tell you, is written, spoken and written by God. No one would have thought uh, that it would have ended the way it's going to end here. And it's wonderful. In fact, if we would thought, now how would God comfort Job? We'd come up with something like, uh, well, you know, we would take him aside and he'd tell him the whole thing. He'd say, listen, Job, now I can tell you, uh, you're not a sinner. Uh, actually, the devil came to me and we talked about it. And you didn't know any of this, but it's it's been a trial. That's what it is, a test of your faith. Wouldn't we do something like that? You know, we know that already. Let's let, let Job in on it. God never does that. That's the wonderful thing about this. He never explains to Job why he did what he did or what started it or the circumstances or anything. Isn't that the way it should be? Yes? No? Should God explain himself to us every time he does something we don't like? (laughs) We'd be God. You know, he'd be subordinate to us at that point. So, here we have the stage set. Uh, Job hears the Lord speak to him out of the whirlwind here. In chapter 38. First, the Lord uh, describes what he's been hearing by saying in verse 2, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself. He's speaking to Job. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job's been asking God questions to take into account all through the book. And, and now God says, Okay, Job, now it's your turn. I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, listen to this first question. Imagine being Job and God, if you were Job, God asking you this question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Oh, think about that. Already, I think I'm starting to get the right perspective here. huh? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he goes on tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements surely you know you get the little bit of uh, innuendo there you know surely you know because of the way you've been talking you seem to know everything else there's a there's a rebuke in here there's no doubt about it or who stretched the line upon it to what were the foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I love that. God is is hearkening back to the time of creation when he personally spoke everything into existence. And he's even letting us in on a little part of the scene that nobody knew about. But he knew because he was there. And it turns out that the angels, while they were watching, were so excited that they shouted with joy. Um... Then he goes on, verse 8, Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. when I Listen to this. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, This far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Now why is that so important, setting a limit on the ocean? He's letting Job know that things don't get out of control in his creation. He's in control, you see. We tend to think that. We may not say it, but sometimes we begin to think, you know, wow, this may have maybe got a little too far. I wonder if the Lord's really still in control, you know? And so the Lord's reminding him that he's still on the throne. Uh, We can't read all the verses. There is such um uh, sources of worship here in these last chapters. But um, in uh, 12 through 18, just notice now God God uses phrases in sections here. The the question or the phrase he's going to use here in this short short section from 12 through 18 is, have you? He's going to ask Job, like for example, 12, Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Think about it. In other words, I have, I still do. The morning is still regularly appearing day after day after day because I make it so. Have you done that? Uh, Again, he says in 16, have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths you know to this day that's probably the least known part of our planet you know the very deep ocean we'll send something down there not people we've sent people down inside uh, a little tiny uh, ball metal ball with a window on it about this thick because of the pressure you know and about that big around to just kind of look out in the darkness and it's still a mystery we're finding new forms of life constantly down there and what god is saying i know that place very well i'm very familiar with it having created it uh and then something that uh, no one is familiar with death have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death That's still the great mystery, even for believers, although we know what's on the other side, praise God. But uh, we don't know death until we've experienced it. And then finally, 18, have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. You know, um, I did a message several years ago on traveling from the earth out to the planets, and I think we only made it about as far as Jupiter before everybody's mind was going kaboom like this uh the the distances involved just with our earth you know you ever been up on a plane and look down at how small things are or imagine an astronaut when they get up and they begin to see the curvature of the earth but by the time you get up you you really don't appreciate just how big things really are you know the distances involved isn't that right you know things look like ants we say that you know we just we can't grasp it with our puny little brains how much less the solar system. But that's just one tiny little star in this huge galaxy of billions of stars like that, which is just one little pinpoint in the midst of the universe of literally billions of galaxies. And now our brains are short-circuiting again. We can't comprehend the creation of God, you see, let alone just the earth. He not only comprehends it, it says nothing to him. It's like the dust in in the scales you see what God is doing this is not an accident you see job needed to have a better perspective on life and the way to get that is to have a good perspective on the Lord and that's what God is giving him Uh, okay and then 19 through 30 God continues just going through his creation uh, various aspects of it, uh, light, the various forms of precipitation—snow and rain, and uh, ice—and then in uh, thirty-one, he then goes out into the uh, into space, uh, the Pleiades, Orion. Some of you may have different words for these. Mazaroth in verse thirty-two, the Great Bear with its cubs. It sounds like ursa Major, but it's probably something else. It, it's not important that we're not sure what it is. We know it's something up in the sky in the stars and the nebula, and so on. And the point is, what does it say in Genesis 1? He made the stars also. <laughs> you got that? Think about what that's saying. A single star. Our, our sun is a medium one. We can't comprehend the size, uh, the power, the energy involved. It's It's been doing a pretty good job now for quite a while, hasn't it? Doesn't have any, show any signs of uh, burning out yet, like my ever-ready batteries. It's better than the Energizer Bunny, you know? That's just one. There, we can't count. We, we really don't, don't know how many stars there really are. Um, I know most of you know, I've talked about this before, that they used the Hubble telescope. Some bright professor from Texas got the idea. Now that we got this thing up there, Let's see if we can finally, with a long exposure, see to the edge of the universe. And so, they uh, he selected a dark part of the sky, which is most of it here, unfortunately, in the Bay Area. So, if you've ever been out in the country, imagine what the sky really looks like. It's all white, you know, with little tiny patches of darkness in between. So they picked a dark patch, and then zoomed in with a telescope, uh, just an ordinary telescope. Picked a dark patch within that. And I wish, imagine I'm holding a grain of sand, okay? If you held a grain of sand at arm's length and looked at it and saw how much of the sky it blocked, that's the area of the sky that they zoomed in on. Okay, you got that? Area the size of a grain of sand. And they took a, a photograph. It took 10 days to photograph that area at the level they wanted to and they were hoping what they were hoping was they knew they'd probably see galaxies in it but as they got down the the galaxies got smaller and smaller in the picture they were hoping they'd see less and less of them Do you understand that means you're getting toward the edge well guess what it didn't happen that way and i wish i had the picture with me it's a gorgeous picture because there are all these beautiful colors and shapes Everything in this photograph, and there are literally thousands of them, is a galaxy, not a star. galaxy is billions of stars, right? You got it? In this little pinpoint of the sky, and no matter how small they are, they don't get less in number as you get farther away. There are just as many at the very end of this photograph as there are right around us here. And we can't imagine uh, how far away that this picture is portraying. God is so great, we we have no comprehension. Because, listen, this is just the creation. He's the creator. The creation is nothing compared to him. He made the stars also. Uh, He talks about his care. This is very important in in, uh, 39 through uh, 41. Listen to this. Uh, This is chapter 38, verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait. Isn't that good? It says uh, elsewhere in the Psalms, he opens his hand and he feeds all the living uh, creatures. God does that. You know, we talk about the balance of nature. You know what the balance of nature is? It's God. Can you you ever had a pet? You know? You ever had a, A child who wants a pet you know and what's the first thing okay you're gonna have to feed it right you know you're gonna have to clean up after it and the parent ends up feeding and cleaning can you imagine god provides for all of the animals and to paraphrase jesus uh, what god is telling job here listen if god so cares for all of the animals of the world How much more does he care for you, O ye of little faith? That's what God is telling Job here, you see. He hasn't forgotten Job. Uh, Chapter 39, we have more of the wonderful care of God. In verses 1 through 4, he attends the birth of every little fawn from a deer. More than attends it, he's the midwife. Basically, that's what he says. It's 5 through 8, he talks about the wild donkey and how it lives in a barren wilderness and yet somehow it survives. How is that? Well, because of the care of God. 9 through 12, he talks about the wild ox and how strong it is and yet tamed by the Lord. 13 through 18 is good, it's about the ostrich. Do you know the ostrich? In some ways, God says it. It's a stupid animal because god says it he says he removed intelligence from him deliberately because the ostrich goes out and he lays his egg just right out in the middle of you know where everybody's walking and yet somehow here we are uh, at least three thousand years later after job and there are still ostriches because god makes sure you see that those eggs are, are taken care of and they hatch goes on and talks about horses in 19 to 25 in particular the war horse and how it's fearless in battle and yet uh, a man can ride it because again god uh controls the horse and then finally 26 through 30 the hawk and the eagle which are majestic animals and yet god created them i like uh this line in uh verse 26 does the hawk fly by your wisdom you know uh, don't let the scientists deceive you. They say that man has mastered flight. We have not. All we know how to do is take something that's fatter on the leading edge than it is on the trailing edge and push it through the air. And when it has the right shape and it's fat here and it's thin there, if you push that thing called a wing through the air, you get a net lift upward. If you've ever flown on an airplane, you've experienced it. I hate to say it, that's the, that's the most trivial form of flight. The flight God is talking about here, the flapping of wings, we do not know how that works. Did you know that? Yes, to this day, they are studying and they're realizing now that the way, because it shouldn't work. In fact, uh, scientists will say a bumblebee should not be able to fly. It shouldn't. And they're learning now, they're just beginning to learn, but they don't understand how it works that there's another way to get lift, that is to get something in the air. And it's how bumblebees or bats or hummingbirds or hawks or eagles, how they know how to work their feathers and their wings in such complex fashions. That what they do is they create vortices, you know, whirlpools of air. You got it? They're called vortices. And they're all different kinds of them. (laughs) And they know exactly where to create them and how to create them. And somehow, they don't know how, it ends up pushing the bumblebee or the dragonfly or whatever upwards into the air and they have names for these vortices they have pictures of them but they're scratching their heads because physically they do not understand how it causes the insect or the animal to go up it's the wisdom of god because uh the mother bird pushes the baby out of the nest and she doesn't give a demonstration on the movement of feathers and wings that little bird he flies now how does he know that and I mean, they stop on a dime, you know. Isn't that incredible? And here we are in the 21st century, and we don't know how it works, but God does. Okay, we, we really can't imagine how Job <laughs> is feeling at this point. Other than very small, probably pretty sinful. huh? Remember when Peter got just a glimpse of the lord jesus in the boat when he pulled in the haul of fish peter fell on his knees and said depart from me lord i'm a sinful man he just got a glimpse job's had more than a glimpse here so i love the way the lord does it he's going to rebuke Job, by the way about his claiming of injustice from god in just a moment but first god thought it would be fitting if he introduced himself i like that because now you see job's got a good handle on who god (laughs) is Uh, really is and who he really is and so in chapter 40 the lord kind of concludes that little section with this uh verse one moreover the lord answered job and said shall the one who contends with the almighty correct him he who rebukes god let him answer it he's talking to job he's saying okay job your turn so job speaks verse three then job answered the lord and said behold i am vile what shall i answer you i lay my hand over my mouth once i have spoken but i will not answer yes twice but i will proceed no further isn't that good job said yeah uh, <clears throat> i was a little incautious with my mouth before i realized now i you do the talking i'm not going to say another word i've already said too much i can't answer there is none okay now that job is prepared mentally emotionally and uh, spiritually the lord then takes him to to task for saying that god was uh, unjust verse six then the lord answered job out of the whirlwind and said now prepare yourself like a man i will question you and you shall answer me Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like His? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Wow. Huh? I think I'd be speechless too. Uh, God doesn't quit there. He then uh, goes on to talk about, we don't have time to talk about two animals we are not sure what they are they're translated behemoth and leviathan there's something big that's all we know and one of them lives in the sea and one of them lives on the land it's not important just fill in the blank and it's awesome there are lots to pick from out there the wonderful thing is that when god is done job is comforted isn't that wonderful can you find the words of comfort in here by the way you know the soft words that we would have expected job job worships when god gets done chapter 42 then job answered the lord and said i know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you he's implying that the purposes that god had in mind with himself He doesn't know what they are, but it's a good thing and God's going to accomplish it. You asked me, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The wonderful thing here is, you know, nothing's really changed. Job is still sitting in the ashes. He still has boils from head to foot. His children are still dead. He's still impoverished. He's a poor man. (laughs) But... The key is what Job says here. He said, I've heard of you before with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with the seeing of the eye. That's the key. The thing that uh, comforted Job that picked up his spirits, that caused him to get his mind off of his trouble and onto worshiping God was simply a clear picture of God. That's it. He got his eyes off himself and onto the Lord. And by that, he'd been comforted well i think we can learn something from this you know i i don't know about you but when you're in a trial when i'm in a trial we we tend to focus on the trial and when we do that the vision of the lord grows dim doesn't it and we forget who he really is we need to remember like job god has not changed no matter what my circumstances are, God still loves me. He still loves you with an everlasting love. It hasn't changed. It hasn't diminished. The love that caused Him to send His Son to the cross for you is still there. It's the same love. Well, we'll we'll finish up. It, it turns out that in this case, it ends with a with a happy ending. In uh, verse ten of chapter 42 and the lord restored job job's losses when he prayed for his friends god had told his friends by the way to go to job and have him pray for them god made it very clear after having privately rebuked job for his slip of the tongue so to speak he then says job has spoken rightly of me and you guys have not and so you need to go to job and have him pray for you so he, he has done that and it says the lord restored his losses Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And if you read the numbers there, it's exactly two times what were listed in chapter 1. He also had seven sons, and uh, three daughters, and the daughters were the most beautiful daughters in Israel. It says. Well, let's let's review. Uh, first of all, you remember what the devil's we we called it a bet. He told God something would happen if God would just turn Job over to him. Do you remember what it was? What did he say Job would do? He said he'd curse God to his face. Did Job do that? No, he didn't. And God knew that in advance. That's why he permitted it. Uh, The second thing that that came out of Job's trial, besides certainly I think he learned uh, patience, perseverance, long-suffering, was three of the greatest quotes in the Bible, particularly when it comes to suffering. These words, remember he said he wished that his words had been written down in a book. Well, little did he know, God did it. And just remember what Job said at the beginning. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's gold. And later, when he uh, was talking to his wife, shall we accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity from Him as well? In the midst of the trial, uh, this, this is a New Testament quote. I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. You understand what he's saying? When my skin is destroyed, when I've died and rotted in the grave, he says, in my flesh, I shall see God. That's a contradiction. You know what he's talking about? Resurrection. He believes it. I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. Not a proxy, not somebody seeing him for me and coming saying, Job, I just saw the Lord. This is what it was like. Job says, no, I'm going to see him myself, me. What does it say in Revelation? And they shall see his face. Job was right. And my eyes shall behold and not another. The lesson, well, when it comes to uh, us as believers now in suffering, first of all, one of the lessons from Job is, don't ask why you know that's not the main question god never tells job why by the way if uh, as we said before if it's not a consequence of my sin and god is not chastising me then i know it's a trial and to take it from his hand all good things come down from the father of Lights. that includes trials and suffering other lesson: Don't look down. Don't focus on the circumstance. Look up. Look at the Lord. Uh, we like to go out to uh, Brookstone in um, uh, Stone Ridge Mall and sit in the chairs that massage you. You ever done that? You know, I get all up going, man. You know, the neck vibrator and the back and the legs and everything. It's great. They're therapeutic chairs. We have therapeutic chairs and pillows and beds you know when we have physical pain it's supposed to help you out it's supposed to comfort you as believers we have something far better i don't know who it was some dear believer put it this way when we're suffering in the lord that's the time to put our head down on the three pillows of god the pillow of his eternal love The pillow of his immeasurable wisdom and the pillow of his infinite power. Put your head down on those three pillows. Actually, there's more than three. And more than that. We have more than Job because we know that our Redeemer lives. We know who he is. We know his name. He has told us that he's going to come back for us. And then it says in uh, 1 Thess 4, when he does that, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then what does it say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What words? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise his name. Let's pray. father we thank you so much that you are who you are that you know how to care for us much better than we know how even to care for ourselves that we still haven't come to the end of your love lord our plumb bob our measuring stick comes up woefully short and we do pray lord that when we have those times when it seems to grow dim and we tend to forget lord that you would remind us that we would remember just how much you really do love us you have not changed all we need to do is look at the cross where the lord jesus has already come has already died has already risen paid the price in full for our sins and now is waiting at the door to come and receive us to himself hallelujah what a day that'll be we thank you for these wonderful promises we have And the reminder we have this morning from your word. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.